Welcome to the Parental Development Podcast. I'm Leah. And I'm Becca. And we're two sisters, one with kids. And one without. One with questions. And one with answers. One who's a licensed psychologist. And one who just wants everyone to hear what she has to say. We both have a heart to see parents succeed and kids thrive. In this podcast, we'll be discussing a variety of topics, all with the goal of promoting conversation and learning. Thanks for joining us. Let's chat. Hey, everybody. Becca here with my smarter (laughs) sister, Leah, on another episode of Parental Development. As always, we're glad you're here. And... As always, I only recently found out what we're talking about today, so I really have (laughs) nothing else to say at this point. So, Leah, you can take it from here. Okay. Today, we're going to talk about, Becca mentioned it, I think it was on the last episode about like pain, using pain to change behavior. Took me down a little bit of a rabbit hole, which is fine. But for my what in the week, which is my like just small, relatively concise examples (laughs) of what this type of parenting looks like just in the real world. Because I think, you know, we've talked about how sometimes that's hard to know. So, and this one might be a little bit longer, but right, it was 4th of July week. And so we were all at home together much more than we normally are, you know, four, four, five day weekends. Um, So Sawyer has recently gotten into, and he's my six-year-old, has recently gotten into like doing people's hair. He does our mom's hair pretty regularly (laughs) with mousse and I think mom still uses mousse. I don't know. She had mousse at her house. So like he's done that with mom and it's something that he is likes and has really gotten into. He asked me to order some mousse for him, which I did because anything to keep them busy because he does it sometimes he and journey will play together pretty well doing that okay so then we're home sunday and he said he has a little apron (laughs) it's the cutest thing he has a little apron he had a spray bottle of water his new mousse and like one of my brushes in his little apron (laughs) and he said mom can i do your hair now fun fact about me I wash my hair one time a week (laughs) and I don't even get it wet the other days. I wear shower cap in the shower (laughs) and when I wash and like do my hair, it is for a purpose to last the next seven days. So this was Sunday. I had washed and like dried and straightened my hair that morning. Oh no. And I was like. No, <laughs> no, 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 that is no, I don't want to wash my hair again. No, and moose, moose in my hair. No, no. Oh, so I started no. saying like, no, buddy, I don't want you to do that. And he was like, so sad. Oh, buddy. <laughs> and so kept asking me. And finally, I thought like, Ugh. Fine. I mean, tomorrow's the Fourth of July. I'll probably be outside and get sweaty, and I probably wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have washed my hair anyway. But I said, "Fine." <sighs> that kid <laughs> put probably a half, half the bottle of mousse on my head, 
and just kept spraying water and moose <laughs> and water and moose. And then he would occasionally brush it. Although once the moose starts to dry, you know, the brushing. It gets a little crispy. It's either very, very painful or like not possible anymore. And so I thought like, this is the worst. This is awful. And so then I was like, okay. Can we be done? Can we be done with air? So then he moved on and said, Mom, can I paint your nails? And I said, well, I mean, well, let's just go all out. Painted all my nails, half up my fingers, <laughs> <laughs> but was so proud of himself. And then he just randomly started. He's never really done this before. He would walk into my bathroom and start like searching through my makeup, makeup brushes, really anything he could find in the cabinet. And he would bring it out to me and say, what do you do with this? <laughs> I would say, like, That's lipstick. Can I put it on you? <laughs> sure, buddy. Sure. And then he'd go back in the cabinet and say, what do you do with this? And I was like, um, that's eyeshadow. It's for your eyes. He's like, what do you put it on with? <laughs> There's brushes in there. I swear he went back and forth and got like every piece of makeup, like family, like bronzer, blush. I did draw the line at mascara because I didn't trust him not to like poke my eyeballs out. Oh, gosh. And I mean, and I'm just sitting in the living room floor and he has just like makeup spread, all my brushes spread. Oh, my God. And was finally very distraught that, like, I don't have anything else to give you. I have no other supplies that you have not already used, buddy. This is it. And when I tell you I looked like a damn clown. <laughs> like Mimi from the Drew Carey show. <laughs> it, yes. It was really, really bad. Maybe I'll post some of the pictures on social media oh, this week. Oh, you took pictures. You absolutely should. Of course I did, because I was like, this is ridiculous, and I had to send them to our mother and our sister. Okay, that is a funny story. It matters to me in some respects for this reason. <laughs> if you've been listening for any amount of time, you probably have a general sense that my relationship with Lincoln, my older son, my nine-year-old, is much, I don't want to say easier, but like the connection is easier than it is with Sawyer sometimes. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's because of any reason other than their personalities. Lincoln is just a very sensitive, attuned, loving, just attached kid. It's mm -hmm. just his personality and his temperament. Sawyer, while very loving, is much, much more independent and determined and strong-willed like he is just a wild child sometimes and so I sometimes struggle I struggle more in my relationship with Sawyer than I do Lincoln not to say I love him any less than Lincoln or anything like that it is just not the same it's different mm -hmm. and I am more mindful of that that being said that Sunday I thought like if this kid is asking me to like engage with him in any kind of way mm -hmm. I'm going to do that because it does not happen often where Lincoln asks me to do everything with him at all times to mm -hmm. the point that I'm like, you can go do that by yourself. <laughs> I don't want to do that. 
Sawyer just does not. He is just very independent. And so when he asked me after my first initial, like, no, because I washed my hair. <laughs> after that, I thought, like, no, I I should do this with him. He asked me, I can wash my hair again. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit of a sacrifice, but it's okay. And even Ben later said, like, I mean, he liked you for a very long time. <laughs> said I know he didn't like tell me about myself at all during that whole and I bet it went on for an hour hour and a half oh wow it was a long time then he helped me clean my makeup brushes I mean like we just did the whole thing (laughs) we just learned all kinds of things and then he said maybe I want to do this when I get older maybe I'd like to make money doing this and so like we had like the weirdest conversations but I swear and I asked Ben today even before uh, recording this like he has been better with me since then. Hmm. He has been more just attached to me. Mm-hmm. Much more affectionate, coming to me more for things. He's just been a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Now, not like life-changing. I don't think we had a bad relationship before. I wouldn't say like we weren't attached before, but it has been different. Mm-hmm. And so I say that to say... A lot of the things that people ask about are like, how do I get my kid to stop doing this or start doing this like that, which is just kind of human nature, I think, for parenting. Mm -hmm. But to understand that, like, truly the sole focus I think we should have is on connection with our kids. Mm -hmm. And if that means I have to look (laughs) like a damn clown and wash my hair two times a week (laughs) as opposed to one, I will take it. Because it has made a difference. Mm -hmm. And so as best we can, when we can, and yes, there are some times that like, I do not, I don't want to do that. I don't have time to do that. Mm -hmm. That is not fun for me. That is annoying to me. Like whatever. You could fill in a million blanks. For me, anything that your kid brings to you and says, will you do this with me? Can we engage in this way? As much as we can, we should say yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that really is where that relationship building is. And we know that that subsequently impacts behavior. Mm -hmm. I know that. You know that. (laughs) (laughs) We're hoping more people are starting to know that. But that is what impacts behavior, not the rules and the punishments and the discipline and all that stuff. Truly is relationship and connection. And so let your kids do your hair and put makeup on you. Yeah. Like with anything too, though, that's hard work. It it is like, you know, when your kid asks you to put help, can you help me put my shoes on? No, you're six, put your own shoes on. But there's something in that, right? Like, okay, it would take me, it literally takes one minute for me to help you put your shoes on and I'm hurried and I'm rushed, but there's a reason why you're asking me to help you put your shoes on when you put them on by yourself every other day. Yeah. Or, you know, can you get me a cup of water or can you cut my macaroni up or whatever it is it's us being willing to sacrifice our own comfort and whatever for what you said to build and foster attachment which is what ultimately we want and what ultimately accomplishes the behaviors that we want I would think yeah yeah it's just so funny as parents how we I don't know like rationalize that right Mm -hmm. or even you said like that's hard work it it's I don't have time for that it was a Sunday afternoon of a holiday weekend Mm mm-hmm And it was an hour or an hour and a half of my life. Mm -hmm. 
I probably wouldn't have been doing anything like earth shattering then, maybe mm-hmm. a load of laundry or, you know, s- some stuff around the house, fine. But the justification we give ourselves mm-hmm. for like saying no to that or like not having time or not being invested or wanting to teach them or he hadn't cleaned up his room, so I'm not going to do that with him. Like it's seeing that for what it is. Again, even that request, there's a function behind mm-hmm. that behavior. And to me, after I, luckily he asked me more than once, but after I got out of my own way, said mm-hmm. like, oh, that's how he is choosing to engage with me. And for Sawyer, I will take mm-hmm. anything I can get because he just doesn't do it as much. Yeah. So it's just looking at it a little bit differently. Yeah. All right. Buckle up for today, people. Oh, gosh. <laughs> because <laughs> we talked real briefly last week about the whole idea of like using pain to change behavior and like I said I started like actually doing some research you know got Mm -hmm. on the Google Scholar Mm -hmm. reading some articles and some research studies like about that that rabbit hole very quickly went down to like physical punishment Mm -hmm. I am also getting ready to start teaching a class on trauma and so I'm like reading a lot and listening to a lot for that so everything is just kind of like coming to a head and I don't know how to talk about any of the things separately necessarily so I'm just going to take you down the rabbit hole with me okay and see where we end up I'm ready I hope everyone else is I said like buckle up okay (laughs) you've been warned (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it is a little bit baffling and frustrating to me that, like, I still have to talk about, like, the research component of some of this stuff, but I will, and I think I've posted some of it before. We're talking about, like, physical discipline, understanding up front, there is a spectrum of physical discipline up to physical abuse. Mm-hmm. The research bears this out too. Many episodes of physical abuse start as physical discipline Mm -hmm. or are perceived as physical discipline by an adult that then either go too far or escalate or are misinterpreted or whatever. But I understand there is a spectrum, but we're talking about that spectrum. Mm -hmm. I think you have to talk about it together. And so physical discipline could be really anything. But the main one we talk about is spanking. But anything really that is like physically causing pain to your child, I would say falls under that umbrella of physical discipline. So similar to last week when we said even like biting your two-year-old to teach them to not bite is a form of physical discipline Mm -hmm. because there is a physical pain caused to your child in an attempt to teach them something. So that's where we're starting from, I suppose, with that understanding. There is tons of research, and I found a couple. I'll post all these in the show notes, but that really shows physical discipline does not improve behavior and actually leads to more emotional, behavioral, and academic problems for kids. There's a quote in one of these articles that says, spanking gets their attention. Mm Mm-hmm but they have not internalized why they should do the right thing in the future, which is what we talk about a lot, right? Of like, 
you might get short-term behavior change that does not teach a child what to do differently at all. That is missing. And then I read this statistic and I thought, well, hell. (laughs) It said upward of 80% of mothers spank their kids between kindergarten and third grade. And I just thought, hell, that's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. That's almost all of them. It is. And they're spanking our baby babies. They're spanking our babies. So it's like a five to an eight-year-old or four to a nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So let's just keep talking about it. I don't <laughs> need to talk about how bald I am <laughs> with all of it. Because honestly, what I would, in my mind, I, I don't, I don't want to do this ever. But truly, when I think about like, who would this even potentially teach? It would be older kids. Because they have some semblance of brain functioning to have like, to attach the cause and effect yeah, yeah. thinking. Mm-hmm. So if I was going to spank anybody, and I'm not, but if I was going to, I would spank older kids because they have the brain capacity to understand if A, then B. Mm-hmm. Five-year-olds do not have that capacity. And so on top of the, some of the stuff we're going to talk about in a minute, they just don't have that brain functioning. And so... We're spanking our young, young kids, which really, really is missing the information about brain development that I do not believe is up for debate. Yeah, I'll pause right here and say, if you're listening to this episode and you have not listened to, I think it's episode three, two or three, three. it's called If I Only Had a Brain. If you have not listened to that episode, we, I mean, we talk about brain development from jump on this podcast but if you Mm -hmm. specifically have not listened to that episode i would ask you to pause this one and go back and listen to that one so you have a a framework for what leah's talking about as far as they literally do not have half their brain right and so if you don't understand the basic developmental structure of our kids brains at this age then a lot of what she's gonna say i'm sure from here on out may not make a lot of sense or you may be defensive about, but biology is biology and facts are facts. So pause here and go listen to that and then come back and rejoin us. But I just want to throw that in there because I think that's why those numbers are so high. 80% is because either you're not aware of that for a myriad of reasons, right? You've never been educated or you refuse to hear it or whatever, but it doesn't make sense when you know what we know. Yeah. Is it that hard to find, do you think? Like, do you think, like, mainstream parents really don't... Again, sometimes it's hard for me because I think, like, we've known that for 20-ish years. Is it not known? Well, we've talked about this before. For whatever reason, and I I don't know, and I know you don't know. you, You get even more frustrated about it than I do. I do not know why this is the thing. This is the thing that is so ingrained and literally beaten into us. I think it was Mm -hmm. beaten into us that Mm -hmm. this is what you do when kids misbehave. This is what you do. I think it's so entrenched in our, just our psyche and in our culture and in our generation that this is what you do, that there's, 
we don't know they're they're competing right like i read this article but this is how i was raised and i turned out okay and i don't know what would have happened if i didn't get beat and da 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 i don't know what it is it's these knowledge and like who we are deep down are competing against each other and there's this inability to either acknowledge or give it up yeah and i think it's also a misunderstanding of you hear that a lot. I got spanked and I turned out okay. I don't think we turned out okay. <laughs> I, I don't would think agree. we all turned out okay. Yeah. And if you look at the research, again, I think people poo-poo research for, for reasons that I don't fully understand. That's fine. The research shows that we are not okay. Like they have done so much research on looking at the difference between adults Mm -hmm. who were spanked throughout their childhood and who weren't and we're not okay there's a study i found in like 2009 that showed young adults who had chronic physical punishment in childhood had smaller gray matter volume in their prefrontal cortex which is your frontal lobe which is associated with social cognition which is like just what it sounds like social skills, social awareness, social thinking, that portion of the brain is implicated in a lot of mental health disorders, depression, PTSD, addiction, that kind of stuff. So even just that one study, which has been duplicated, I mean, tons of times, shows that like we have small, like less volume in an area of our brain that is like super important. Mm hmm. And so to think like, well, no, I turned out fine. Uh, okay, what? How do you, how do you define fine? Mm-hmm. Like you have a good, you have a job, you're married, you have kids. Like that to me seems to be like how we define fine. I'm successful, however you define that. But emotionally, socially, relationally, I don't think we're fine. Yeah, and I know people might disagree with me on that, but that's okay. All right, so let's just go back to like fairly basic, I think, brain functioning. And we've, again, yes, go back and listen to all that because I'm not going to restate everything in that first episode or second episode. But we talk a lot about the amygdala, which is your body's like smoke detector, Mm -hmm. right? I read something recently that talked about like that's your smoke alarm, your prefrontal cortex, your frontal lobe, like right up by your forehead is the watchtower. So your amygdala is the thing that says, I think something's on fire. And your the watchtower says, yes, it is, or no, it's not. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sends all kinds of signals back and forth. So your amygdala is designed, that's fight or flight, is in your amygdala. It is designed to fire for anything that's dangerous. Any time your body is hurt by another person your amygdala thinks you're in danger because you are Mm -hmm. right like someone's hitting you Mm -hmm. your amygdala doesn't know like oh it's just my mom Mm -hmm. she's doing this to teach me something and so I'm okay it doesn't know that because it's not a watchtower it's a smoke alarm Mm -hmm. and so it fires thinking you're in danger And your body reacts as such. So what does that mean? 
it sends signals all over your body saying like, hey, we're not okay and you need to get ready to survive. There's like all the research. This is just a fact. Like this is Mm -hmm. not, this is not an opinion I have. The blood rushes like away from your heart. It goes into your extremities. It goes down into your, the rest of your body to say, because you might have to fight or flight Mm -hmm. or freeze. And so I don't need the blood in uh, these other areas. It leaves those organs and goes into places in your body that are designed for survival. And goes away from the parts of your brain that are really important for thinking and planning and processing information and language. And those things are not online and not able to be used, Mm -hmm. period. Again, this is scientific fact that really has been for the last, oh, 25 ish years 2025 years it is very easy to find if you don't believe someone you're hearing on a podcast (laughs) there are much much smarter people who have discovered this over and over and over again Mm -hmm. that that is just how that works so knowing all that i don't think it can be overstated that any kind of like physical punishment like that your child's brain believes they are experiencing a threat they experience you their parent as a threat that has to be survived which if I think I think most parents to think if you heard your child say they just feel like they have to survive you Mm. that does not feel good that is not what I want for my kid that they just have to survive but that is what their brain believes they don't get to like convince it otherwise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not, that's not how it works. And so part of my question, I don't know if you know the answer to this. We can just talk about it. Is like, do the parents think that like that doesn't apply because they're parents? Because I think those same parents would get like, if a stranger hit your child in a store because, I mean for any reason, mm-hmm. they saw him steal something or they were fighting with their brother and a stranger walked up and hit your child. I don't know very many parents who would be okay with that. So is it that like I'm different and they know me as different and I can make it okay because of that? I'm just speaking from my experience. I'm not personally a parent. I'm speaking from parenting that I've seen and parenting that I experienced. I think that yes, you would justify in that, and it sounds twisted when you say it out loud, there is a difference because I'm their parent and I love them, right? And I'm going, because Mm -hmm. I love them, I have to punish them and teach them that what they're doing is wrong. And that's how I do that. And we experienced that growing up. I remember, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember mom and dad sitting down and praying with us before and after they spanked us. I I very vividly remember that. I do too. And I know their heart, where their heart was in doing that. So to answer your question, I think that the rationale is they should know, which is ridiculous when you say that out loud, but they should know that me hitting them is different than their teacher hitting them or Mm -hmm. their coach hitting them or their youth pastor hitting them. And I think 
I think part of the problem, I'm thinking through this as we're talking about it. I think that we make it okay in our brain because we say the word spank and not hit. Right. I don't know. I feel like that may be a word that somebody made up to make themselves feel better. Honestly, I really do. Because take that word out of your vocabulary and just say the word hit because that's what you're doing. You can call it spanking, but you're hitting them. Right. And I do think that parents that parent traditionally that way think that your child should be able to differentiate that my parent is hitting me because they love me and anybody else that hits me that's not okay which when you say that it's crazy it's like backwards to me i would rather my their teacher hit them again anybody ever hits my kids i have a real problem i would rather who aren't their people like aren't their person and their that love them and to be their safe place i would rather anybody else hit them because then i can go in and say like ah, no that's not no that's not okay it just feels very backwards to me of like because I, only the people who love you get to hit you yeah absolutely and then when you think about it children are the only people that we're allowed to hit Right. Yeah. And if you really, deep down inside of you, if if you believe that, if you believe that that's how they learn is by me hitting them, then you should be okay with anybody else hitting them. Right. Because, I mean, that's the only way they can learn, right? That's the way they learn consequences, right? Is by hitting or inflicting pain. So then you should be okay with the teacher hitting them or grabbing their arm or X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. But you don't believe that. Mm -hmm. So there's like this dichotomy going on inside of parents. I know there has to be. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that I would think this line of thinking doesn't hold up because we do call it spanking until we don't. Like Mm -hmm. we don't call physical abuse when we hear that parents physically abuse their children. It's not presented as they spanked them. Mm -hmm. It's presented as they abuse them. And so where is that line? Is it when you bruise them? Is it when you hit them too many times? Is it when, I mean, I know legally it's when like there's a mark and that kind of thing. But like in your way of thinking, where is that line and how do you know you never cross it? Yeah. And what do you do if you ever do? I mean, the arguments don't hold up no matter I know which one you use, but. I digress. Carry on. No, I think it's all. This is, <laughs> see, I'm taking you down the rabbit hole. We're halfway there. <laughs> I did find something in like what I was reading that the idea that physical punishment is a stressor for kids, and they use this word stressor, and I'll talk about that in a minute, was only first talked about in 1996. So when I read that, I thought like, well, yeah, that our parents truly were doing the best they mm-hmm. knew. Yeah. Nobody knew. 100%. And we had no knowledge of brain functioning Mm -hmm. then. We just did not have the technology to know it. And we didn't have it until around that time, early 90s, mid 90s. And so I do not fault previous generations. No. I'm starting to fault this generation (laughs) because the information is so clear. Mm -hmm. And it's just really hard for me of... I mean, 1996, 
anything in the 90s, I think was like 10 years ago. But right. it really is like, that's what, is that 30, 30 years ago? 30. 30 years ago. Yeah. It's a long time ago. Yeah. And so we have now 30 years, 25, 30 years of extra research, because once someone questions something, then we have all the things, the mm -hmm. studies that really could give you very clear information if you're looking to find it. Mm -hmm. The research they did that was very basic then found that, and this is a quote, as the frequency of reported physical punishment increased, so did children's levels of distress. That is like the most basic of findings of research mm -hmm. is like, as one goes up, the other goes up. We call that a correlation. Mm -hmm. As one goes up, the other goes up. And so that sparked all kinds of stuff as far as what else we need to look at and that kind of thing. So a normal stress response, we all experience stressors and stress every day, all day, as do our kids. But when a normal stress response happens, stress hormones are released in our body to say you need these extra hormones to help. Mm -hmm. And then if it's not too overwhelming, then the, the other parts of our brain step in and help regulate and manage that stress. And those stress hormones return to a normal level. That's just how our body functions. If those stressors are activated over and over and over again, the amount of stress hormones that we have running through our bodies on such a regular basis, that is what starts to like cause the damage and change our system in that those stress hormones start to take longer and longer to return to baseline. Mm -hmm. And so... Again, as those stress hormones are released, that's when your body goes into fight or flight because the stress is there. And as that increases, it maxes out our brain's ability to regulate it all. And then, right, we start reacting to things we shouldn't or we have a much harder time calming down. So now our tantrums or our periods of dysregulation and being out of control are much longer. And so when we talk about stressors, that's what we like from a scientific trauma stress response kind of thing, that's what we look at is how are those stress hormones ebbing and flowing? Can they get back to baseline? And what changes are happening because of the amount of stress hormones that person has running through their body? Does that all make sense? Yeah, I just have a, I mean, I have a picture of, for example, a three-year-old who has a tantrum. Yeah. Right. So they're dysregulated and then their parent spanks them to stop the tantrum. Layer what you just said on top of that scenario. Yeah. So the next like level of this research is that one of the defining aspects of stress that makes it what we call toxic stress. So one of the defining features that says this is no longer stress stressful, this is now toxic, mm -hmm. is related to not having an adult to help regulate your stress response and identify appropriate behaviors. It is very tricky to think that the adult with you is going to help regulate you when they are the one causing your distress, right? Like when they are the mm -hmm. one telling your body you are in a 
dangerous situation and all of this stress response, like, right, we call the cavalry and like something's happening. If that adult then is also supposed to be the one to help manage that stress response. I mean, just saying it, you can see like, well, how the hell is that supposed to? Mm -hmm. That's confusing. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? But not having the adult there is what makes that toxic. One of the things, the, the main thing that makes that experience of that situation toxic as opposed to just a, a normal stressor that we all have and can regulate through. That's why we talk so much about co-regulation mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, right? Because that is, yes, our kid is having a stress response. I, as your caring adult, am going to come in and help you manage that stress response. That is what keeps that stress manageable mm-hmm. and from flipping into toxic. Mm-hmm. Because I'm teaching you ways to do this. And that is just the next wave of this research as I'm like kind of trying to like pick it apart is just that. How does that work? (laughs) And the answer is not real well. When the source of your stress is also supposed to be the manager of your stress. Mm. That would not work for me as a grown up with a full brain. Mm -hmm. And then again, when I think we're we're spanking five-year-olds. And expecting that to somehow them to be able to make sense of all of that or not mm-hmm. be like completely confused and overwhelmed by that. Mm-hmm. I just, again, I don't know how how you would argue it. I don't understand what the argument would be when we are absolutely talking about like scientific, proven, duplicated over and over information. That was a very long-winded answer to your question. Of That is what this next layer is, is they don't have a caring adult. They don't have a safe adult to help them manage their stress because that... In that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because that adult is the one telling their brain they're in danger. I say in that moment because I think parents that do use corporal punishment and spank and hit and do whatever... I think that they would argue that I am a safe adult. I am their loving parent, yada, yada, yada. And I'm not saying that's not true. But in that moment, when you are the cause of the stressor by using a physical punishment, which their brain perceives as dangerous and causes their body to release a stress hormone, that your actions are negating everything that you said, excuse me, everything that you say, or everything that you truly do feel, your behavior is negating that. Right. As perceived by your child. Right. And they don't have any control over that either. Right. And the research that I found talks about like most parents who spank, spank at least two-ish, two to three-ish times a week. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a hundred times a year. That's a lot to me for itty-bitties. And I think... Yes, I think you can do both. Both things can be true. You can be absolutely supportive and caring and loving. And I don't doubt that parents who spank love their kids. Uh-huh. I don't doubt that for a absolutely. minute. Yeah. But is it worth even the risk that this is true? Mm. I mean, even if you just like think maybe I'm half right mm-hmm. or the science is half right, is it worth that risk that you could be negating all of those other safe and supportive and caring and empathetic situations and experiences with your child 
by these two to three times a week mm-hmm. situations? Is that is it worth it? That's what I'm saying. Like you're so hell bent on hanging on to those two to three. And we're just going to use this numbers because statistically or whatever. But you're yeah. so hell bent on hanging on to those two to three interactions per week that you can't even entertain the idea or the possibility that number one, the negative effects that we're talking about are actually true and real and, you know, impactful. But also, you refuse to entertain the idea that there's an alternate way to get what you want without having to hit your kids. Right. So I remember when we got spanked when we were younger, many times after that, there would be like a reconciliation. I was just thinking about this when you were talking. After that. Yes. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And so as I was reading this, I thought like, okay, so would that protect against this even a little bit? Mm-hmm. I think it might. Yeah. Although I think still confusing. I remember being mm-hmm. confused as a child mm-hmm. after a spanking. And then it was like this like loving, mm-hmm. affectionate thing right after a spanking. And I remember thinking like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. I remember being confused as Mm -hmm. much as I can remember, you know, during that time period. It's funny because I was just thinking about that when you were talking previously about it. And I was thinking because as a child, when you're being spanked, your body has this response like I'm in danger, whether you're flying to the other side of the bed or like you're jerking away or whatever. That's your body trying to get away from a dangerous, a dangerous scenario, right? But I do remember vividly after that is over, after that was over. And then it was kind of like this very confusing thing because then we both sit down together. You grab me and you pull me into your lap and you hug me. And sometimes you might be crying too. And we pray together and you tell me that you love me. And I, that is a very, that's very confusing. I do remember that, that shift, that, that dynamic of, you know, I'm trying to fly to the other side of the bed but then when it's over, I'm crawling in your lap. It's very weird. Right. Even just as you were saying that, I thought like, man, that is, how would a five-year-old or six-year-old process that? And historically, that is what I used to always use as like, our spanking was different. Mm-hmm. Justification for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I, as I was, before I turned crazy, saying like, <laughs> when I spank my kids, I'm going to do it like that mm-hmm. because it was... You know, not often done in anger. It was controlled. (laughs) Sounds so dumb. (laughs) And there was that kind of reconciliation at the end. Mm -hmm. Or attempted reconciliation. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So do I think that could be like protective a little bit against what we've been talking about? Maybe. Although even in our memory as adults, confusing. Mm -hmm. Because if you think of this as from like an attachment perspective... When you are hurt and in pain and feeling any kind of discomfort, we are wired to go to our attachment figure Mm -hmm. for comfort. Mm -hmm. We are hard wired for that. Mm -hmm. And when my attachment figure is the one who is hurting me, who do I go to? Where do I go? And... Yes, you can argue all the other times that the, it was it's a different kind of pain and discomfort. They fall down, they hurt their toe, they, you know, someone is mean to them and they go to you and you are that attachment figure that is comforting and 
validating and all those things. Yes. But again, the <laughs> for the times when you're not and you are the one that is causing the pain and then leaving your child with nowhere to go, mm -hmm. from an attachment perspective, that is very, can be very, very damaging because it leaves kids feeling alone and rejected and you know all those things that would be associated with that yeah but i still think there's a school of thought and a, a segment of people that think that hurt pain is the way that you teach them like you know that's how i get her attention as i pop her on the leg or that's how i you know she's gonna learn to not do that or that's the way that i do it is i i hurt yeah. her i mean they don't say that i pop her no no you hurt her yeah your goal is to cause you pain. pinch her, you bite her, you right. And I think if we can like, let's get rid of the semantics and just say what you're doing. Like I hurt her. That's the way that I teach her is to hurt her. Say that right. out loud. That doesn't feel good to me. And I don't have kids. Right. That cannot be the only way. Right. I know that the argument is like, that's how I learned. There was another way. You didn't deserve to be hit. You didn't deserve to be hurt. There was another way for you to learn the things that you needed to learn throughout childhood. But I think if we can, I don't know, it's easy for me to say, right? But I feel like if you can let go of this like protective language of spanking and teaching that, no, no, you're trying to hurt them. Yeah. For a righteous, I'm using air quotes, for a righteous cause to teach them. I do believe a lot of people think that. I have to assume that back in the day, we maybe did think that that's how kids learned. I don't know. We must have. There is no evidence to support that anymore. Any more than there is evidence to support, I don't know, that kids shouldn't be in car seats. Or mm -hmm. I don't know that um, we have medicines that work to help your headache. Or mm -hmm. like any anything that has changed what we think based on science and research and just learning more, that is where we're at. Mm -hmm. And so I suppose you can hang on to that. It's not true. Mm -hmm. That is not how kids learn. That's not how anybody learns. And I would argue that is not how we learned good behavior necessarily or how to do the right thing. That is how we learned not to get hit. Mm -hmm. That's how we learned not to get in trouble. I learned to push aside my own thoughts and feelings and beliefs and desires to make sure I was okay in the eyes of another person that I cared about greatly. Mm -hmm. And that is not healthy. Mm -hmm. And we've talked, I have spent a large portion of my adult life and I continue to trying to unlearn some of those things. Yeah. And so I just disagree with it at its face, just even from like, you know, the psychological component of it. Mm -hmm. But from a scientific standpoint, there just is no evidence to suggest that that is true. None. Absolutely none. And so you can choose to still believe that. I just want to be very clear about what you're choosing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you are choosing information that you might as well just say the earth is flat we just know that that's not true anymore i don't blame people for believing it in the past i don't and i don't blame our 
generation for having that instilled in us as we grew up. But you can't use that forever. We can't just keep saying like, well, that's how it was when we were little. Lots of things were true when we were little that aren't true anymore Mm -hmm. or that we don't do anymore. So I want to end on this. As soon as your body experiences fear, your amygdala kicks in Mm -hmm. and starts working. That sets your body in motion. And this is true for all of us. Your stress hormones are released. Your blood pressure and heart rate increase. Your breathing increases. Your blood flow moves to your limbs, preparing to survive. For those of us parents that use fear to change behavior, I just want to be very clear that you understand that is what is happening in the bodies of your children when that is occurring. It's not up for debate in my mind. Mm -hmm. I just want it to be an informed decision that people are making that you are setting your kids' bodies into fight or flight mode when fear is your discipline of choice. And again, I'm going to attach all the things (laughs) on the Google Scholar that I found. If you are interested in actually seeing this in study form, they're not super challenging to read. They're not like the, you know, they're not the real research studies. ones. (laughs) They're clear enough that whether you have, you know, a lot of experience reading research or not, it's pretty clear. And so I just want people to be clear and informed in what they're doing and mm-hmm. make sure that we're not going around the edges anymore, I guess. We're just going like to bulldoze right through it. Yeah. <laughs> we used to be very careful. Right. Now it's just whatever. <laughs> this is just what it is. I mean, and maybe I realize I've offended enough people that who cares if there's a couple more <laughs> in these last hour many episodes. So that's what I want you to understand. And we talk about spanking. Again, any fear-based physical discipline, anything that you are using your child's alarm to change behavior. Because for sure, if they are like, you can visibly see the alarm in them, Mm -hmm. their system has set off an alarm that if it's set off too much without the appropriate regulatory interventions can really have some long-lasting challenges for them down the road. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure we've offended a lot of people, and that's okay. The whole purpose that we started this podcast for was to challenge uh, the norm and to present a different way to parent our kids. And even though both of us experienced corporal punishment growing up, we do still believe that there is an another way. So I hope you hear our heart in this conversation (laughs) was just to present a different way. So feel free to at Leah at go at Leah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready. Yeah. Anyway, thank you guys for listening and we hope to see you here again next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of parental development. If you found this helpful at all, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you choose to stream. And if you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, email info at parentaldevelopment.com.
We'd love to hear from you to know that someone else is actually listening. And remember, we're all doing the best we can in this parenting thing. So survive the day and keep the kids alive. See you next time.